0: Hello, my name is John Barley from Right Track New Zealand Limited. And today on the podcast, we are going to be interviewing Mr. Keith Robinson of Dharma and Associates. I've known Keith now for about gee, 10 years, 10, 15 years. And Keith and I met through the Chartered Institute of Transport, and we have a common passion for having health and safety within our business. Today I'm going to ask Keith about his pet subject, which is all about the necessity of being sustainable and having balance and alignment within business. But we're also going to see how that or those terms can actually have an impact on health and safety within business. So are we on the right track for having sustainable, Health and safety, and sustainable balance and alignment in business, and what are the benefits of it? So, welcome, Mr. Keith Robinson. How are you?
1: Very well, thank you.
0: And I, I love the love the backdrop. So that that's kind of cool as well. <laughs> and we and I've just been saying, Keith. We we've known one another for about ten. Would it be ten years?
1: Yeah, yeah, at least. Yep.
0: Yeah. And tell us a little bit more about your background, Keith. Where, where did it actually all come from? This passion of uh, compliance and alignment and balance and sustainability and business. Where did it all come from?
1: I guess I'm, I've been working for myself now as a consultant and trainer since 2002. Um, so that's what, 18 years or so? Prior to that, I was a senior manager in um, corporates, American corporates, as uh, looking after the entire supply chain procurement, warehousing, logistics, and therefore health and safety as well. What I found is working for the American corporates is that my life wasn't really sustainable. It was kind of a chew up and the pressure was enormous. Um, and it was all about no matter how good you were, you know nowhere near as good as you need to be. Every year, my department of procurement was saving our wages, which we had 30 staff, so we were saving over a million dollars a year in 2001, 2002, but that was nowhere near enough. No matter what we did, it was nowhere near enough, and we had to go screw trying to, what I was being instructed to do was go and screw suppliers over and keep reducing their prices, uh, irrespective of whether they made any money, irrespective of whether they had any chance of sustainability within their business, my target was to continuously reduce my costs. And I used to say that I need my suppliers to make money, otherwise they won't invest in their businesses because they won't be able to afford to. And therefore right now we might save money, but in a year or three, they'll be gone. And now I'll have less suppliers in the market and therefore their prices will go up because there'll be less competition. And I used to get in trouble for nurturing inferior um, competitors. You know, to to my suppliers. So I wanted, if we've only had one or two suppliers in the market, I wanted a third. And so I would get someone that wasn't as good, that was more expensive, and give him my volume and give them the the smarts that my team had to make them a better provider to us and therefore to the market, because they added more sustainability to the market. And that was not the, not what I was told to do at all. So I kind of had to do that behind the scenes until. I thought, this was silly, and end up leaving and helping companies do that. They're, they're more enlightened companies. Uh, and I find it fascinating now that all of a sudden people are talking about, oh, our su- supply chains need to be sustainable. Well, they've needed to be sustainable forever. It's now all of a sudden this term supply chain is, un- is starting to be a little bit understood, whereas... You know, I was a supply chain manager 18, 20 years ago, um, before anybody else had kind of heard of it. We were talking about the entire supply chain Um, and we need the supply chain to be sustainable. And so I've talked to anyone that would stay still long enough to listen about the importance of ensuring risk management within our uh, supply chains, because... If you buy from a supplier that's not down the road, someone that doesn't speak your language, someone that is in a different time zone, sure, the price might be cheaper, You might have to buy a higher volume in order to achieve that. But what if the boat sinks? What if it breaks down? I mean, I've had that. What if the factory does burn down because they have worse uh, management of of their electrical or whatever? What happens if they do find themselves embroiled in a, an issue regarding slave labor. Well, I can't manage that so well when I'm geographically isolated from my supply chain. So it's vital that as we have gone to cheaper sources of supply, that we've identified the increased risk that that decision has made and therefore managed it. And what I've found is that people were chasing the savings, but not understanding the increased risk and certainly not managing it. And now all of a sudden, oh, COVID has happened and we need to be talking about supply chain sustainability. Well, we should have been doing that two decades ago. Um, and so finally, people are starting to understand the, the importance of sustainability within supply chains. And hey, maybe we should be buying a little more local because it is just down the road and we do understand each other and grunt in the same language and we can get in the car and go and see them if we need to. And we don't have to buy three container loads of black um to you know, in order to get the volume or the pricing that we need and sure we might have to pay a little bit more but in the olden days like in the 70s and 80s the supply chain people focusing on cheap price and consumers were too and now consumers are not consumers have changed and generally consumers are happy to pay more as long as they can get it now so we're moving we've moved from a, a lean supply requirement generally to an agile one i don't want to wait three weeks for my new fridge I want to get it this afternoon, and I don't mind if I have to pay another 150 bucks. I want my fridge this afternoon, not in three weeks. Whereas, you know, a couple of decades ago, it was I don't mind if I have to wait six weeks. That was normal, um, but I want a cheap price, and that, which meant lean more than agile. Now we want agile as much or often more more than lean. So, sustainability becomes a lot more important at every facet of our supply chains. So and that doesn't just mean our suppliers, but our suppliers' suppliers and their raw materials and, and how they're going to dispose of the waste that they create, uh, how they're going to recruit their staff, manage their staff, train their staff, and therefore their health and safety. I've been auditing when well, I'm doing audits of suppliers um, and accrediting them to decide whether I intend to buy from them. I've been including health and safety in my audits for about 30 years. So why,
0: Keith, why is it so important to have health and safety as a factor, as a variable component within logistics and transport? What, what what's, what's the fundamental issues that businesses need to understand?
1: If you forget about people for the moment and, and don't care about them, and most companies say they do, but they don't, <laughs> it's 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 really it's it's about sustainability because if work safe go into your supplier and shut them down because they have poor health and safety what's that going to do to your supply chain all right so if you look at it from a mercenary, purely personal perspective i need my supplier to keep delivering the 20 bits every tuesday as we've agreed and therefore if we shut down because of his poor health and safety well that isn't going to happen if if he uh, if one of their people get gobbled up by a machine and they've got to open the machine, drag the guy out, hose the machine down. That's going to take three days. I'm not going to get my bits on Tuesday. So from a purely mercenary perspective, I need it. The fact that I care about people and I want people to be safe. It's kind of that's I kind of hide that because I mean I I, I press it, but it's it's it doesn't do people just don't understand that. But I'm hoping we start. We have seen a bit of a shift with the COVID. People are starting to work more from home, see more of their family, care more about the environment. They're realizing that this rat race thing isn't isn't ideal. A lot more people want to work from home long-term. So we'll have to wait and see whether that actually happens or whether everybody goes back to sitting in traffic two hours every day uh, or not. But there's certainly at this stage, a lot of people that are saying, actually, I would like more of a balance in my life. You know, I would like my life to be more sustainable rather than just focusing on my work. Uh, and everything's got to be imbalanced. Now, I use the analogy quite a lot of the, the plates spinning on the sticks in the circus. And, and when the plate is beginning to wobble, you need to notice that the plate is, gonna, is starting to wobble because if you don't, soon it's going to fall over. How do you notice if a plate is starting to wobble on the stick? Well, it's called KPIs. We use key performance indicators to explain to us that the the plates, some of those plates, I've got 33 plates on sticks spinning, and one of them is my mum, and one of them is my wife, and one of them is my kid, and one of them yeah. is my body, and one of them is one of them on one. Of them. I have all these plates spinning on sticks, many things on aspects of my work, in my case, different clients, and they're all spinning. And if I see plates starting to to wobble, I've got to get over there and give it another spin, right? And so how are you going to notice if your plates are starting to wobble? If we're only focusing on three plates, we're not going to notice the ones on our peripheral that are 10 plates away. And by the time we do notice, they're already smashed, right? What's alerted us to the wobbling is the plate hitting the ground. And that's not okay, right? That's not sustainable. So we need to we need to be able to take a bigger view and look at things holistically, strategically, uh, as well as tactically, but but to be able to see the big picture, understand what's what's really out there and what's important to us. And all of these.
0: You've broken into some other areas which are really interesting, and that is measurement, being able to identify when you've got that wobbling stick or when you've got that wobbling plate that has been able to identify before it actually starts to wobble, before it starts to get to that crucial point where it's going to fall off. So it comes down to that issue of measurement. And I'm just going to go back to another issue through, that I heard from uh, another one of my past guests. And he talked about health and safety should not be a priority. And he actually said, if you've got a poster on the wall, and we've all got them in our businesses saying, if there's a poster on the wall that says safety is our number one priority, he said, rip it down. Because, in fact, safety should be a a value. What are your comments to that? Specifically for the New Zealand market, because he's American, and you're from the American market as well.
1: Okay, so if we are having to put a post up saying health and safety is our number one priority, it clearly isn't, Um, because, because we wouldn't need to put a poster on the wall. I mean, and let's be honest, who reads posters on the walls? There's only one way of doing a job, and that's safely. So we shouldn't have to talk about safety. This is how we do the job. And there is only one way and that is not to hurt people because if you hurt people, it's not sustainable. So there's no discussion around is this safe, is this whatever, because that's how you do the job. We work out, there is only one best way. Work out the best way and then make sure everybody follows the best way. And then once we're following the best way, then we need to identify new best ways. And that's called continuous improvement, right? And then we improve and now we've got a new best way. And now we put a, a, A system in place to stop us going back to the old best way and now we're all all of us all through all three shifts moving on to the new best way and we all lock that down and we're comfortable with that and now we're looking for the new new best way so and the only best way of doing something is safely because anything else is stupid having hurting people is not okay it makes no sense morally or or financially why would why would we choose to do that
0: from your experience keith do New Zealand businesses do health and safety well? No. What and is... The what is it in mind. Sorry?
1: The statistics bear that out. If, we, if we're killing a, a third more people in New Zealand than we are in Australia per head of population, double what they are in Britain, that indicates that we've got some opportunity to improve. But a lot of companies, if they're doing, or when they're doing whatever they're doing in health and safety, and it tends to be minimal, it's it's around, what am I gonna do to keep me out of jail? Rather than, how am I gonna make sure my people are safe? Now most people do care about people. I'm not saying they don't care. They just focus on what they're judged on, which is the money in the bank, or meeting your targets, meeting your measures, and tends not to be health and safety we should never have to talk about health and safety i should be unemployed in terms of a health and safety consultant because we should never have to talk about it because it's just a natural way of life you know like in the olden days you and i remember john um seat belts in cars we never used to have seat belts in cars then all of a sudden the rules changes if your car has a seat belt you you must wear it like forklets Um, are now, so now you're not allowed to buy a car without seatbelts so times have changed and and you used to be able to smoke on aeroplanes and all these sorts of things so things are changing and I I guess as our maturity continues to improve in New Zealand, we'll continue to get better we're better than we used to be but however, we're only better than we used to be because of Pike River and the the tragic death of 29 guys that in my view was completely avoidable And, and so it tends to unfortunately take a catastrophe before a quantum leap happens in in getting closer to where we should be. And there are all sorts of reasons why that happened and, and it's when I get when I get into a room with a bunch of other people that are into health and safety, like health and safety managers, etc., they all agree that in their workplace yesterday there were several opportunities where serious harm could have happened and that didn't, and that was just luck, not good management and that's unfortunately the reality you know the the in health and safety we talk we talk about the um the multiple causation when the holes line up and there are four or five holes need to line up before someone gets severely hurt well just luckily one hole didn't line up at that particular moment so Someone slipped but they didn't fall off the roof. Someone happened, but you know, and they almost died, but they didn't. And no one knows about it because we didn't record it. We didn't investigate it because we don't care. And you go, We should. We should just take the term near misses. The term near miss conjures up nothing. And no one cares because it's a miss, right? It was a near, it was a but the term near miss is actually a contradiction. If I nearly miss you, I must be hitting you. Because it was a near miss. Not a miss, it was a near miss. So the term near hit makes an awful lot more sense, but we call them near misses because it sounds cuter and, and a lot less relevant. So, but we should be investigating near, near hits because it might not be a near hit next time, it might be an actual hit next time. Yeah. And, and the,
0: the, the challenge is mean, a lot of businesses aren't actually measuring those or recording those near misses, they just noticing it
1: them. noticing them. You've got to notice them before you record them, before you investigate them, right? But if you're too busy being told to get a hundred units out today, the last thing you're gonna do is spend time over something that didn't hurt anybody.
0: Mm. I just heard the other way. I just heard this morning another term which is often banded around at the corporate world, and that's called just in time. Yes. And and it's taken from the Japanese system, but there was another aspect to the just in time um, philosophy and practice, and that was, it also included people. So people had to be involved in that just-in-time process to, overle- to make certain that they were safe whilst doing these practices to deliver the product in a safe manner. But the Western mm-hmm. world seems to have forgotten the people aspect.
1: Yeah, but it's not just on health and safety. They've forgotten and, and where that's from, from lean as well. I mean, I've worked a yeah. lot in lean. I've worked in European motor, district, motor companies. Um, I was working, I don't know, 25 years ago as a supply chain manager for a company in Europe manufacturing grab rails for the insides of cars and wing mirrors. We, we just distributed daily to Rover, Honda, Jaguar, and Toyota would come and collect at 10 past one every day, one pallet. Because um, it's all JIT, right? So, but it was all about getting, getting people involved and engaged. Because me sitting in my office, I'm not the one assembling the car. I can't see the improvement opportunities in your job because I'm not doing your job, right? So, and that's exactly why we have the same philosophy in health and safety. It's, it's really from lean. Uh, so, for instance, when they decided, how come we're not selling enough minis? Um, they said, oh, well, because they're, they're, they're a nice concept car, but we haven't um, made them nice as, as people's expectations of, of quality of vehicle gone up. We haven't improved the Mini and therefore that's why we're not selling them. So they, one of the things they said they need, the Japanese will need is air conditioning systems. So they put air conditioning in the cars and the Minis. And then it was about, you know a couple of years later before one of the guys on the floor says, why do we have fan light windows in the Minis? And they said, well, that's for ventilation. They said, but we have air conditioners now. They're bugger me. And apparently it gave them hundreds of thousands of pounds a year getting rid of the fan lights and minis that they cause they hadn't needed for the last half a dozen years because now they're putting air conditioners up. And you think, well, you know, that's that's the importance of having the guys on the floor that are doing the job involved. And when I was in supply chain and automotive, I would take the guys from my factory to my supplier's company to talk to the manufacturers in the factory. So the factory worker talking to the factory worker. Me and the boss will go and have a cup of coffee because we don't know anything, right? We don't do the job on the floor. We're just stupid. We get my factory worker who assembles the parts that I'm buying from this guy to talk talk and have a, a dialogue and watch the manufacturing on the floor. And so he says. so when you give it to me and it looks like this, it's hard for me to assemble. And the guy on the floor over there was like, well, I have to do that because of this reason. Well, can we do this? And they would work out the solution while the boss and I were having a cup of coffee. And we, when they told us what they've changed, we had no idea because we don't know their job. All right? But how often now, and I'm talking 25, 30 years ago, I would take my boys from the floor onto the factory floor of my suppliers and they would grunt at each other in a language that I can't understand. But we don't do that now. And we were doing it 30 years ago. And you think, well, why would you not? They're they're people. They don't come to work to do a bad job. They come to work to do a good job. And, hey, that's really exciting and fun for them to go and see their suppliers and see how the things that they assemble are actually made. That's really motivational. But it's actually really positive and useful. And we save thousands of pounds, hundreds of thousands of pounds, by getting my factory guys on the floor in their fa- and they're and we'll do the same we then say hey come over to our place and we'll show you how we use your product and why when you that it doesn't work for us because you'll see how we have to assemble it at our price and they come up with better solutions
0: keith how how do we get new zealand businesses how do you think we're going to get new zealand businesses to get on the right track of having a sustainable balanced environment so that their businesses will grow. What, what do you think would be one of the principal factors that business owners should look
1: at? understand the concept of supply chain. Now, because of COVID people think supply chain all of a sudden it's a buzzword, right? But it's, you know, it's been around for 20, 30 years. So the concept of supply chain is not me buying bits off you, but it's, it's, it's how I buy them, how you pack them, how you move them, how we design them. So I would go to my, we would, in automotive, we would go to the supplier and say, we want a, a mirror for the outside of this car, that we're going to start building in three years. This was the functionality we need from this mirror. You go away, Mr. Supplier, and design it. Now, the supplier's not going to design something he can't make. Whereas if my engineers draw it on a CAD machine, they're going to make something he can't make or can, but at a high cost. With a with a, a tolerance that's too tight where it doesn't need to be, that's really hard for him to manufacturer or whatever. And so the supplier would go away and, and call his suppliers and say, "Hey, in three years' time, we're going to be supplying this mirror to Keith, and in the in the mirror, it's got to have plastic, it's got to have screws, it's got to have motors, it's got to have wiring looms, etc. You're all of my suppliers of all of those things. Go away and design it." And his suppliers would go back to him and say, well, this is the glass I think you should be in that mirror for Keith. And then that he would design the mirror and then he would come to me and say, right, Keith, my supply chain says this is the optimal um, mirror and design and, and componentry, not just for now, but in three years time when you start manufacturing, that's the type of plastic will be here because we well, think that plastic will be going down in price and we think that plastic will be going up in price. So we think this is the best plastic for you. And so we're getting the whole supply, While well, we would then go to Rover or Honda or Jaguar and say, right, we've designed the mirror. And so... It's what we call advanced quality planning. It's it's understanding that the supply chain it's not products that compete, right? It's supply chains that compete. And if I only I'm buying bits off you, then I'm missing the whole point. And so I need my supplier to make money, and I need his supplier to make money, I need his supplier to make money, and I need them to all do it sustainably. I can screw my supplier over for a few weeks, but when when the when the balance is on the on his side, it is now a shortage of of uh, right now we've got an excess of capacity, right? So we can we could screw suppliers down and get a cheaper price, but eventually the, the, it'll reverse and there'll be a shortage of capacity and then they're gonna come back and kick me in the ass, right? And, and it might look, not look like peace price, it might look like a, a, f- a fuel surcharge or be some other hidden way that they'll, they'll bite me back. But if I go to the supplier, when we work on it together in, in, in an open environment, where we're both trying to make our supply chains, we're all trying to make our supply chains from end to end, not just my supplier. We need to work together as a a whole total team because it's supply chains that are competing on products. We don't get that in New Zealand. And when I came back to New Zealand again, I was very disappointed that our automotive sector had gone in terms of manufacturing because they, they therefore didn't have that capability. There's no one teaching that in New Zealand. Fisher and Paykel were... And then a lot of their manufacturing moved offshore. When I came back, 20 something, 25, 30 years ago, from the from Europe, I would I, I would always give favoritism to suppliers or potential suppliers that were f- uh, supplying Fisher and Paykel, because it means that I didn't have to train them. But now Fisher and Paykel aren't as strong here as they were in terms of manufacturing, and therefore there's no there's no one teaching the stuff anymore. There's no one driving this into supply chains. So that's what sustainability is all about. Like for instance, no non-no no non-returnable dunnage. That means no packaging is allowed to be used that can't be reused at least 10 times. Now we were doing that in automotive 30 years ago. Now we're just starting to say, well, let's not have one-way plastic bags, right? But over there, we weren't allowed to have any, any packaging must be being able to be used 10 times and then we must have a system to return it back to the supplier for them to fill it and then bring it back to us what
0: is the, Tell me how health and safety, I've got the thoughts in my mind of as to how health and safety can be a necessary component, can be a bolt, but it's not from everything that you've said, it's not the driving force of it. It's just, it's actually protecting the reputation of the suppliers in that supply chain. Yes. And so, how can business owners really start to come to understand the value of that simple thought?
1: It's hard. How do you how do you force people to
0: care? You know, how can you force people to care? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Deep, deep down people people generally people are nice. So I go to companies very frequently that are nice people, but they have no health and safety, no system, no process, no manuals, no meetings, no health and safety training. They might have forklifts, but that's as far as they go. And it's not that they're not nice people. It's just no focus. And people need to appreciate that health and safety is just as important as making money. You know, like in the States, when people are uh, having riots in the streets, forget this, the social you know, d- distancing, they're having riots in the streets because they want to go back to work. Because clearly to them, going back to work is more important than not dying. Well, let me tell you, not dying is more important than not going back to work right so but these people want to go back to work and if it means they die then that's okay and no it's it's just it's it's the wrong way around and the government appear to be backing them up so no (laughs) how can that be it's not okay to be making a hundred of these instead of 90 but we but we kill people but we hurt people but they can only do it for a little while and there are tradesmen we can't replace them and we're not training people to come through you know it's just it's just, where do you start? It's just everywhere. Like, for instance, tradesmen. All of a sudden now, we're, we're, for the last few years, we've been reaping what we haven't sown by not training tradesmen. And the average age of a truck driver is, what, 59 doctors older than that. Tradesmen who are older guys, older women, don't want to be groveling under cars anymore. And so there's a shortage of all those trades. So we're trying to quickly address the balance. It's like uh, we haven't planted the corn. But now we're gonna try and harvest it quickly because we need it fast. We didn't plant the bloody stuff. Right? You've got to you gotta it's it's nature, you've gotta reap it. You got you gotta plant it before you can harvest it, right? And we we we, we try and harvest quickly because you think that, that's speeds up the supply chain. No, you've gotta you've gotta plant it. You've gotta lay the ground, you've got to get the right soil, you've got to make sure you know, look after the soil, and then you plant it, and then you nurture it, and then oh look the output arrives. You can't just go and bitch and scream and get the output quick. It just doesn't happen. You, you, know, we call, you, you, you shred the supply chain. If you ordered 100, then all of a sudden you want 500. I could probably get you 500, but I'm shredding the supply chain. There's now nothing. Buffers are all gone. So next week when you want more, there ain't any more because we pulled it all forward.
0: So I this can do it in the short term. Because there's but, no tolerance.
1: Yeah. And, and, and because... The, the more lean the supply chains, the less buffers are in there. Whereas in the olden days, we had buffers for Africa or place I'm not advocating that either. But we just need to manage that flow, right? Is this product that I'm buying, does that product need to be an agile supply chain or a lean supply chain? So that will, will mean what, what, I've, what I need to create for that one product. Could be very different for another product. Some are really price conscious. Others
0: are, we need it when we need it. We need it now. I'm going to throw another word in there that pops into my head, margins. Yes. (laughs) So, uh, So everything that you've said to me or to us is about having the capacity, having the level of tolerances in there to have this unexpected necessity of demand for the particular products or uh, raw materials. But those tolerances have now gone. And yet accountants talk about adding margin onto products at the marketplace, but nobody seems to be building tolerance or building margin within the business to permit the business to operate safer and to deliver its products and value to the end customer and thus enhancing its reputation so what's your thoughts on margin
1: clearly we need to have it um and the more companies i go to the more disillusioned i become with how many companies are on the breadline all the time nothing to do with COVID and when something a little bit bad happens in then, their history. And you can liken to a lot of people who are in a financial situation where if for whatever reason they don't get paid on Wednesday night as they normally do, they can't come to work on Thursday because they've got to go to the bank and, and realign payments for things because there's no buffer in their personal financial situation. We need to fix that as individuals, and we need to fix that as, as businesses as well. If someone doesn't pay you for a week or two, you need we need to have sufficient buffers and reserves to to cope with that. So it's it's a real shame when when we don't you know we, really te- we don't really teach financial literacy anywhere and they're starting to in schools, but there we are. Um, but we need to be in that sort of situation where we can cope, where businesses do have a little bit of a buffer. Um, and so when the rainy day happens, then then you can cope. I mean not the once in a thousand year storm but you know when it hasn't rained for a few weeks or it was raining a little bit more than normal we need to be able to cope a lot of businesses just uh, just over broke or actually they're breaking the law and they are insolvent but still trading and unfortunately i see that quite frequently so we do need to be creative and be wise in how we make things, what we make, what we do, is that market already saturated, so why would I enter that one? Um, you know, a friend of mine's got a dry cleaner, and he, he has been making reasonable money in the past, but only because he owns the building, and therefore he doesn't pay rent. But now there's two more dry cleaners open up within 100 meters of it. Completely unsustainable. The market cannot cope with three dry cleaners. So he's saying, "What do I do? Do I just pack up and retire? He's in his late fifties. Um, I can't sell the business now because there's not going to be any margin in it because these two clowns have just opened up. Um, what do I do? You know, we're talking about well, how deep are your pockets in relation to them? Well, they don't own their building, so I can probably I can probably cope longer than they can. So that's the strategy that I hope. But we we need to try and make this this difference. You know this, this marketing difference within our business to somebody else, and therefore be able to to build those buffers, but keep those buffers. Have a little bit of extra rainy day money just in case, in a revolving mortgage account or whatever. So it's sitting there, you're not paying mortgage on it, but uh, you know you've got x amount of dollars sitting there that you can call on should you ever need to. So marginism important, absolutely, yeah, um, and, and, and protecting protecting that revenue once you get it there's no point in saying oh we've got all this money i'm going to go and blow it or oh, what we normally do: i've got ten thousand dollars i'm going to go and buy a fifteen thousand dollar car and now i'm taking out a loan no if you could only if you only got ten thousand dollars buy a ten thousand dollar car mm. if you have to buy a car well,
0: so to have margin and productivity and in your logistics would businesses want to bring Keith Robinson into their organization regardless of size or is your practice your thoughts your your wisdom only applicable to the to the medium-sized businesses rather than all businesses
1: I, I think that every person every every personal situation, every uh, business situation can benefit from having a fresh pair of eyes. So I I've, I've go into business, I was in a warehouse recently, uh, and, and uh, we're walking around the warehouse, and I'm, I'm showing the, the warehouse manager health and safety issues. And we got back to the room, and he said, I've worked here as the, the warehouse manager for 10 years, this one building for 10 years, and I've never seen what you've just shown me. And I come in here every day and I said, because I'm wearing a different pair of glasses than you are,
0: right? Blinded by normality.
1: That's it, right? So I'm not saying I'm better than this guy, I'm just from outside. Right? And so I think there's always benefit from having someone come in and look at it from, from a different perspective. Even if it's not their speciality, sometimes they can come up with some stuff that you just hadn't thought of. But if it is their speciality. Um, then there's a huge benefit. Let's assume that you want to, uh, I was with two different organizations last week, two new clients I picked up last week uh, in in the same day. And I was in both of them and they said, well, can you teach me how to set up the health and safety system? I said, yes, I can. But why would you want me to set up, why would you want me to teach you how to set up your health and safety system when I can do it in like three hours and it'll take me longer than that to teach you how to do it and you're only going to do it once. I'll teach you how to maintain it once I've set it up and that'll take me an hour, and then you'll never see me again, unless you really want to find me, but you won't have to. So getting expertise in where they can do something a lot quicker than you makes an awful lot of sense. You can concentrate on your knitting, and they can do what what they're bloody good at, and then they can go away, and, and that's a box tick. Um, so having anybody in from outside, there is some value, and, and both of these companies uh, both of them are run by the husband and wife. In fact, one of them, the husband doesn't work full-time in the business. So it doesn't matter the size of the business, and I do work for companies that have got hundreds of people more people as well. Um, so that everyone can benefit from having something in. But the key is for consultants to add value and see themselves as adding value more than earning an income. Again, one of the keys for my situation, I've been working with myself for so long, you know, I don't have a mortgage, I don't have big costs, keep it that way so I can keep my rates down. And so I like keeping busy and helping lots of organizations rather than having the stress that, that others would have when they start to go out on their own. So keeping your, your rates down and, and therefore keeping, um, you're being engaged in a lot of different organizations. Also, when, when I'm helping a company, I don't know how, but I'm learning too. Maybe I'll try it in a way and it didn't work as well as it could have. So I've tweaked it. Oh, that worked better. And then in five clients' time, they ask me a question. I know the answer. I'm like, how do I know that? And I can't even remember where I've implemented it exactly like that. But I clearly have because it came out of my mouth without me thinking. So I must have done it recently. So I, you know, I get paid to teach, to learn, and to teach all at the same time. So you get that benefit when you bring in someone from outside. It just saves a lot of time. And it's a false economy quite frequently to – do the Kiwi DIY sort of thing and do it yourself. Um, so, you know, I have an accountant, even though I'm part qualified accountant, I have an IT person, and I pay these guys every month on a fixed fee, and they look after that part of the business for me. You know, I've got another person looks after my website, I don't, and I'm just a one-man band. So I don't want that stuff. It's not what spins the wheels, not what I'm good at. I'll get someone else to do.
0: So you would you'd look after the sme and the medium-sized businesses and also the corporates because i know just looking through your cv you've also looked after the spca which was a huge account for you you know
1: yeah yeah setting up the health and safety at spca was a big job so it was over 100 sites um 46 with animals and 50 odd shops and a couple of warehouses um and uh over 100 vehicles nationwide but it's not just the 480 staff but the 5,000 volunteers and they're in a potentially hostile environment in terms of dogs and cats and, and that sort of stuff um, yeah. so setting up their health and safety and because they didn't have an awful lot of money being a charity so setting up their health and safety took some time, it was a part time sort of gig, a few hours a week but for now a year and a half um, yeah but I work for companies like a Core Hotels, so I do training for their um, I do a bit of work for a hundred Hundred member company that make herbs and spices in the factory 24/7. So there are little, these little mums and dads. Where mums they're pretty much full time and dads occasionally up to these these larger organisations of several, several hundred people. Um, yeah, but it's 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 fun. It's enjoyable.
0: So we have a small business owner who has a challenge with his health and safety. It's a challenge with his logistics. You're the guy to contact because you can deal with the health and safety. You can deal with the logistics. You can deal with understanding the risk within business as well because you look at it with fresh eyes. Dharma and Associates, that's you, uh, Keith Robinson. So give us your phone number and email so that they can website over uh, over this call so that they know they can jot down the numbers right now
1: if they okay. say, I've got a problem, I want to talk to Keith. My phone number is 0272-SUPPLY, 0272 uh, 272787759 uh, And the email is Keith at Dharma Advisory. Dharma is a, a Sanskrit word. It means the right path, the right way, the correct learning or lesson. Um, so Dharma, D-H-A-R-M-A, DharmaAdvisory.com. Uh, I do a bit of work internationally, hence the the need for a, a .com. So, but from a health and safety perspective, I, I write manuals and, and do all sorts of levels of training. I'm just doing some online training, uh, health and safety rep training for one of the orchestras in Auckland, um, and uh, one of them is one of the three trainees is. Uh, still living in England, she's just been recruited. And so she moves over here in a month or so. So it's an online course. So the two people in Auckland and the one from the UK will all be doing the course together. So it's a bit of fun doing online training as well. I do online training for warehousing. So you're right, I'm, I'm 50% of my time is logistics and the other 50% is health and safety.
0: Yeah, and your, and your costs for health and safety is very reasonable. So we won't go into that too much, but you're very reasonable.
1: Yeah, I'll just say that I've got, I produce a manual. And I've got it in probably 200 companies with all the forms, all the templates, everything you need, some tutorials. Um, and you get the forms electronically as well, $495. And then hey, if you need it. to, you get. so it's, it's, I'm in there to, to get people safe and not, not to pay off mortgages. So it's 495 bucks for, for all that is, 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 is good,
0: very good. Good, good, good result. Keith, as always, you are uh, inspirational uh, and I hope through listening to what you've said, we have given some guidelines to help businesses know how to get on the right track with their sustainability and their balance and their alignment and not only that, but to look after their people. So, thank you very much. It's, uh, mm-hmm. As always, it's been good to good to know and good to listen to you. Thank you. See you later. Bye.
1: Bye.